So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. This is the Alternative Investing Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. It is so great to have you on. I'm really thrilled with all of the communication that I've been getting from you guys and the positive words to keep this podcast going. I'm certainly very open to topics and today's topic is one that is very close to my heart. I am certainly someone who is considers themselves a life philosopher and so this is a very philosophical look at how we feel about the way that we've created wealth. If we feel that our runway to, you know, where we wanted to be is running short, maybe we feel that we've uh, missed the boat, maybe we've wasted time, maybe there's been decisions that have not panned out the way that we want. But in any case, this concept of being at a point in your life where your timeline to needing your wealth to provide for you. If that is short, then this is a great podcast for you to tune into because what I really want to do is unpack a little bit around, you know, how we end up where we end up and what you can do about it if you are committed to getting your wealth back on track. So, where I'd love to start today is in recent years, particularly during the endless lockdowns that we seem to have over the last couple of years, I had these great philosophical conversations with my husband, John, about, you know, life and possibility and diminishing enthusiasm as we get older to take on more, to do more. And he's probably been really great at kind of articulating this and I'm kind of paraphrasing to some degree, but essentially when we start work, when we're in our teens and we move into our 20s, the life that we kind of envision for ourselves is full of possibility. There's lots of options as far as careers. There's lots of options as far as our life partner. And, you know, it, there's an element of play and there's also this kind of feeling that there's plenty of time ahead to be a grown up and be serious and, and get on with the mundane aspects of running a household or potentially of building wealth. And what happens as we go through life, particularly if you're not really conscious of the seasons of your life, is that you know, you may find a partner, you may settle down, you may find yourself, you know, with a mortgage, running a household, whatever that looks like for you. But essentially, regardless of the, the choices that you make, you may find yourself in a situation where as you move through life, not only are the um, viable options and potential of your life diminished, but you may also find yourself in a situation where you just feel that your responsibilities don't allow you to play and take on the sorts of risks that you might have as a younger person. And, you know, if I reflect on some of the yogic views of the seasons of life, sometimes there's great peace that comes with just accepting the season that you're in. Say, for example, if you have young children, you know, you're in a constant state of tiredness and 
and, you know, energy goes up and down with each of those seasons. And I think the, you know, the, the metaphor is that those seasons and those kind of ebbs and flows of life are similar when we think about wealth creation. Uh, when we're younger, we may have great aspirations about building wealth. Similarly to life itself, life is full of possibility and hope. And as time passes, as there's more water under the bridge, your sense of capacity to build wealth and your willingness, I guess, to take on big risks diminishes. And we reach a point where we become less and less comfortable about pushing outside our comfort zone. And I talk to many, many people who are recognized Recognizing that there is some kind of shortfall between where they thought they'd be or perhaps where they would want to be now that they've thought about it and where they actually are. And, you know, there's a whole range of emotions that I kind of tap into, which is anything from despondency, depression, regret, frustration, you know, maybe some degree of pain. But essentially, there's a sense of I've left it too late. My possibilities are limited now. I have responsibilities. And there's this sort of gnawing feeling that you don't know what to do. So, what I want to do in today's episode is really kind of be, I guess, as comforting and as practical as I can to help you understand if you are interested in writing the ship, if you are interested in trying to make the most of whatever time you want to allocate to wealth building, um, if you want to make the most of that, then yeah, you know, I think these are the three keys that I think are most important. I mean, there's there's so many things you can be doing, but I, I really wanted to just give you a, a taster of where to get started. So, the first one, some of you may groan when I say this, but the first tip I have is just be kind to yourself. I think regret is such a harsh and wasteful emotion. And if we're not really careful, it can actually cloud our beliefs and our actions and actually prevent us from taking on investments that align with our needs and our risk profile. So, if I think about the spectrum of how that pans out in real life. If you are someone who feels that they have wasted time or that maybe you've made some decisions that have resulted in you not getting quite where you want to be, then what I've often uh, witnessed is people making decisions to try to make up for lost time. So, I had a client years ago who uh, was about 55 during the global financial crisis had had a large portion of his retirement funds wiped out and really felt that he had to take some massive action in order to make up for that loss. And so, what he found himself doing was taking 400000 out of his retirement and investing it into a friend's restaurant, into a mate's restaurant. And, you know, there's a bit of a running joke that I've heard amongst a number of finance professionals who've talked about the idea that if you want to lose 400, that or if you want to lose money full stop, just stick it in a restaurant. So the experience of people investing into business ventures, particularly in hospitality, where there's a potential for a fantastic return, but there's so much uh, at play in terms of running a business from a risk point of view that it's very easy to lose that capital. And, and sure enough, this poor guy lost that capital. By the time he came to see me, he was in a situation where he uh, he was pretty despondent. He had given up hope and really was looking for, okay, I, I've, I've tried it the, uh, the high risk way. Let me come back to fundamentals. 
And, you know, for him there was a resignation that perhaps he wasn't going to be able to give up working as early as he thought he might have been able to. And so what we did for him was actually find a, a middle ground for a plan that was going to get him back on track and give him a much higher probability of success by the time he reached you know, full retirement age of 65, 67. The other end of the spectrum on this be kind to yourself concept is if you're not careful, if you're unkind to yourself, if you're harsh in judging yourself around the decisions that you've made, uh, you can put yourself in a situation where you feel crippling anxiety about taking any decisions. And certainly I've seen this often enough where perhaps poor decisions have been made at a younger age or you've made decisions which have resulted in loss or you've kind of just been so conservative that you've fallen short. And, you know, when there's a recognition of the gap between where you are and where you want to be, the feeling is that, you know, you're even more worried about making the wrong move. And so you make no move at all. And that is actually quite common as well, particularly amongst people who are consuming a lot of mainstream media where the focus is on really stirring the pot and getting eyeballs. So, you know, a lot of the news can be inflammatory or one-sided or based on predictions of the future, which may or may not happen. So I think the be kind to yourself is really saying from a starting point, recognize that what is done is done. And, you know, I like to tell people that it's never too late. I once spoke to a fellow who was in his 70s and had found himself, you know, making a series of bad decisions and finding himself in a situation where at 70, he realized that he at least had to work part time in order to put food on the table for his wife and, you know, handle his other responsibilities. And one of the conversations conversations that we had and which eventually he would chuckle about was this idea of it's never too late. And I do love the idea that wealth building is relevant to you regardless of your age. So, whatever you do, just be gentle with yourself in terms of feeling like you've missed the boat or that you can't start thinking about investing, that you can't start learning new ways to grow your wealth at any age. So, that's kind of like the first key that I want to focus on is get your head right. Think about, you know, what you can do from here rather than what you can't do. I know, as I said earlier, there's a tendency as we get older to think that our possibilities are less and, you know, that our energy or inclination to take on new things or try new things is is diminished. And I, I certainly recognize that that's a natural kind of evolution through our lives. But I would also say from a wealth building point of view, there's always, always opportunities to find investments which align with our appetite for risk and will move us towards our goals. So that is the first thing. The second thing I want to say is that you need to recognize the need to take effective concentrated action. And and when I say that, really what I'm talking about is you need to find a way to springboard your success. Now, this might include a number of different things. It might include paying top dollar for exceptional advice or support to grow your wealth. I think I've mentioned this before, but you know, I love 
talking to teenagers about wealth because their appetite for wanting to grow their wealth is enormous. They're also quick to recognize that maybe within their own families, they haven't necessarily had the best influences. And I think what I would love to kind of, I guess, reflect about teenagers is they take on ideas like sponges. They are, they have fresh minds. They haven't been polluted by the trials and tribulations of life. So they're certainly much more open and optimistic about the future. But they also recognize one of the things I say to them is that, you know, when you're younger, you have time. Time is the thing that you have plenty of. So you can afford to some degree to try and figure out the path on your own. So I see that there's lots of things that that I can say to open their minds and point them in the right direction. But I also think that um, when you're younger, you have the luxury of, you know, this capacity to play, to have, to create your own trial and error. It doesn't mean you have to do that, but it's the point in your life where you can most afford to do it. As you get older, my personal feeling is that you cannot afford not to leverage the expertise of others to speed up your success. And when I say that, what I'm saying is doesn't mean you don't need to tread carefully because there are a lot of charlatans and people out there with misaligned intentions. You need to put the time in to find the right people, the people who have your interests at heart, who recognize that there's you know responsibility when it comes to helping others. And so you need to be sure that the people that you put your faith in are the right people. But I think if you are serious and you want to create meaningful wealth for yourself, at least for yourself, um, if you're interested in financial legacy, if you're interested in leaving something behind for the next generation or for charities or causes that you care about, then you have to plug into people who can light the runway for you. I think the the alternative, which is to try to figure things out on your own, is still possible at any age, but it's just a case of wanting to create uh, or find more of a GPS rather than just this wide open map where you've got to figure out the best road to get to where you want to go by yourself. I think as well, what we what we need to be mindful of, um, and I want to pair this with the idea of taking effective concentrated action, is to start cultivating investing rules and getting to know what you will and won't do. The best example I can give you of this is I spoke to someone very recently who found themselves in a situation where they were within, you know, I would say 12 years of needing to retire and they hadn't done a great job of creating wealth. They went off and found themselves a course or a mentor. I think it might have been sort of wealth in general. And they found themselves putting a very large percentage of their money into a single opportunity and then lost a lot. And to recover from that both emotionally and financially has been extremely difficult. And there's still a lot of pain, undigested pain around that particular experience. And so when I say take effective concentrated action, what I would encourage you to do is find people who can help you on your journey. But I would highly, highly advise against putting a large percentage of your wealth into a single opportunity at a point in your life where you cannot afford to lose it. What you want to find are opportunities to take control of your investment decision making and make small bite-size investment choices, build your confidence, 
see how they pan out, and then you can accelerate your decision-making and your deployment of capital as time passes. But this idea of taking effective concentrated action is about just pulling you out of whatever stage of thinking that you're at and elevating it. Um, Now, that can come through um, mentors, It can come through formal education. It can come through courses. It can come through masterminds. There's lots of different ways to level up, if you like, when it comes to taking this effective concentrated action. But what I would highly advise against is putting it all on red or going to the casino and just saying like, I'm just going to take this one big action and it's either going to make or break me. So that is what I have to say about uh, about that second key around taking effective concentrated action. The third key that I really want to focus on is this idea of being very clear about what goals you have at the point of the journey that you're at. So, you know, when you are younger, and I talk about this a lot, and I'd encourage people to go back and listen to the podcast episode that I did on the three stages of wealth building. There are three parts to the wealth building game. The first part, particularly if we're talking about a conventional journey where you start investing young, then you kind of adapt as your wealth grows. The first part of the wealth journey is you have to grow your capital. And the most effective way to do that is to use responsible leverage in order to control a the largest possible pool of assets that will grow exponentially over time. That's not to say you can't diversify into different strategies, but I would still highly recommend you think about investments which are most likely to give you growth. Then as you transition and you get to the point where you go, well, look, I've got a reasonable pool of capital behind me, then you can transition to play, you know, stage two of the game. Stage two of the game is really a focus on how do I change my trajectory? And when I say that, what I've talked about in this other episode is that you need a decisive focus or a shift towards producing more income from your assets. Uh, It's very easy traditionally to get assets that give you growth. It is more challenging to find low risk assets that produce income. And so changing your trajectory is about exploring that. And then finally, part three of the game, once you've got to the point where you've started to cultivate the passive income stream that you want, the part three of the game is about cultivating those annuities. So yeah, go back and listen to that podcast. But what I wanted to say about this third key in reference to your runway is you need to be really realistic about whether your focus needs to be on growing your passive income or your capital. So when I say that, you know, what I see a lot of people doing is because the cash flow from typical, you know, whether it's shares or property can be very poor, what they do is they just think, well, I've got to keep focusing on growing my capital because I have no choice. Unless I grow my capital, I can't obtain the income stream that I want. And in fact, if you start to think outside the square, absorb um, wisdom and information around other asset classes, including things like, as you guys know, I'm really passionate about alternative real estate investing, then you can actually, in a relatively short space of time, with a relatively small percentage of your portfolio, develop the sort of cash flow that you want. And I'm, I'm saying, you know, within two to five years, provided you have the capital behind you. So, you know, what I would say 
to kind of give some people some ideas as well is a lot of people simply through owning their own home have created a a relatively high net worth. And if that's you and if you have found yourself in a position where your runway is short and you haven't quite reached the kind of financial goals that you've got, the decision that you face is do you keep growing your capital to avoid needing to think about either downsizing or using the equity in the home? Or do you feel that, you know, the capital in your home represents a good portion of your net worth and your wealth and you make the decision to utilize the capital that you have and then direct it into those investments that deliver the cash flow? Well, maybe it's a little of both. But the point that I'm making to you is if your runway is short, what you don't want to do is just blindly follow mass I guess, mass thinking um, or the thinking of the masses, which is that the only option you have is to knuckle down and keep growing your capital. The best example of this is, you know, if you think about someone who has a net worth, and I'm, I'm being extreme here, but imagine you have a net worth of $10 million and that $10 million of investable capital is earning you 1% as a net return. So, you go, okay, well, let's call that $100,000. That's not exactly going to set the world on fire. But, you know, you might think, well, okay, the option at one end of the extreme is that I've got to get my, you know, net worth to $10 million of working capital so that I can earn $100,000. The other, and I'm being very extreme here, the other way to look at things is imagine you had a million dollars earning you 10% return then that is also going to give you the $100,000 that you need. So, what your journey is in this last key is about being aware of the need. You need some capital. You can't create wealth from nothing. But if you have capital in your world that you've either created through the fact that you just own a home or um, you've been very deliberate and methodical about building your wealth and you've got a really good capital base, but not necessarily the income, then if you're also in this situation where your runway to you know retirement or wanting to step out of active income is kind of short, then the the decisions that you need to make around how hard the capital that you have is working for you is crucial. I think too many people kind of roll through life and accept this idea that, you know, they've got to tolerate that one to 2% net return on their capital. And therefore, they've got no choice but to keep ratcheting up their net worth until it gives them the income that they need. And, you know, I really, my mission, if you like is to really change people's thinking about what is required to hit financial goals and design the sort of life that you want to lead. So, they're my three keys. I really feel passionately that it is never too late for anyone. And what I'd love to hear from you guys about is what are your experiences? Where are you feeling stuck? And, you know, continue to create some content for these podcasts that helps you navigate the challenges of wealth building, particularly in the environment that we are in right now. So, guys, I hope this was useful. I really, really appreciate you tuning in. And um, yeah, please reach out if you want to, you know, if you want more content. My email is selena at incosiwealth.com. Until next time, take care. You've been listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to incosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.